0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives the life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony for Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honored and eternal dominion. Amen. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Zoe, for that scripture reading. As most of you know, we're in a series on Paul's letter to a apprentice and young pastor named Timothy. And we've been looking at the signs of spiritual health, what makes a life healthy in its theology and its spirituality. Paul uh, was a first century follower of Jesus. And he was writing to a coworker uh, by the name of Timothy, uh, who had been sent to one of the churches that Paul had led for a season—a church in the ancient city of Ephesus. And in the city, uh, this church had been exposed to a variety of leaders and influencers who had uh, who had steered this community away uh, into unhealthy leadership, into unhealthy spirituality, into unhealthy thinking. And so Paul is basically trying to give Timothy the cure. If there's a spiritual malady in this religious community, then what's the cure? And that's what Paul is attempting to do. He's, he's trying to write Timothy and inform him what that cure is. And in chapter one, Paul really basically, and very bluntly, says to Timothy that he's got to correct people who are teaching false doctrine they're promoting a teaching that uh is not sound uh it's the, Paul uses the language of uh, of unhealthy and it's unhealthy because it's not true so throughout this series we've been looking at the signs of a true and healthy christianity and today we're looking at uh one of the more maybe counterintuitive metrics of a healthy church and a healthy christian and it's it's this a healthy church and therefore a healthy christian is marked by an intense struggle uh, to preserve the truth of the good news about Jesus even at great personal risk in short uh, a healthy christian is somebody who is engaged in what paul calls the good fight so today let's let's really reflect on two questions what is what is this fight what is the fight that paul is referring to in verses 12 of chapter 6 and then what is the power? Where is the power? What are Where are the resources that you and I can access to engage in that fight? So just let's take that head on. Question one, What what's this fight? What is Paul talking about? Uh, and let me just, before we do that, acknowledge sort of maybe the obvious. There's going to be at least two people reading Paul's words to Timothy about the good fight. And for some of you, perhaps, uh, there's a kind of thrill when you hear that Christianity is engaged in a struggle, or a, or a battle, or a fight. Um, the whole notion of uh, fighting, or a struggle, or a competition is instinctively compelling. It, it, it's captivating to you. Uh, but for, other, for others of us, maybe, um, the whole notion of fighting, uh, of, of conflict, is, is quite distasteful. Uh, it's something that you would rather avoid. So especially if you're in that latter group and you find the the whole idea, the whole idea that a metric for spiritual health uh, could be fighting, you find that unpleasant. Keep in mind that Timothy was uh, very much your kindred spirit. Uh, Timothy, he gets you. He understands you. Um, By all the evidence that we have in uh, the New Testament, Timothy would have been somebody who would have found this notion um, probably uh, something that he wanted to avoid that Christianity is sort of a fighting religion that to be a healthy Christian means you're engaged in this good fight. First Timothy was young and he was young in a a culture where um, youth was not an asset at all Uh, and therefore he would have been perhaps maybe shy or bashful or very timid. Uh, That was sort of just his natural uh, proclivity it was his personality trait. and much much of the, the writing that we have uh, from Paul to Timothy uh, seems to suggest that Paul is not only shy and timid, um, but he's inexperienced. He's maybe in some, in some measure immature. Uh, and we also have evidence that maybe suggests that Timothy suffered from some kind of physical disorder. So Timothy wasn't looking for a fight, uh, but Paul encourages him to be engaged in one uh, so what what was it what What was that fight? I think it it might be easy to read uh, verse twelve uh, where Paul instructs Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith uh, as something like fight the good fight of of having faith or or fight the, the sort of battle to believe, as if Paul was encouraging Timothy to sort of keep on believing even in the midst of struggle. Or hardship, And that is certainly a true and biblical thought, but it's not really what Paul is getting at here in this text. What Paul is getting at is something actually a lot more uh, a concrete and, in fact, central to his entire letter here in 1 Timothy. Paul is actually saying to fight the good fight, not of faith in, in general or the idea of belief in general, but he's telling him to fight the good fight of the faith. Uh, definite article the faith the the apostolic once for all delivered faith about the good news of Jesus Christ so it's what paul is has constantly referred to in this letter and in other of his writings in the new testament as as doctrine or teaching and that's a theme that's woven throughout this whole letter. It's, it's everywhere. You find it almost in every single chapter of 1 Timothy. He mentions the noun, doctrine, or teaching at least seven different times throughout 1 Timothy. And he also mentions its, its sort of conceptual coordinate, uh, the noun, the truth, uh, a handful of times. And it's this doctrine, it's this teaching, which is actually what's at stake in the Ephesian church. And you know that because the good fight that Paul speaks of here in chapter 6 serves as a kind of bookend to the whole letter. Uh, In chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Paul had initially instructed Timothy to fight the good fight. And there, his language is even more militaristic. Uh, Some translations uh, go so far as to say, wage the good warfare. It's military language, to be sure. But here in chapter 6, the words are slightly different. They share... A similar connotation, but they've they've changed to a certain degree. The connotation is still an agonizing struggle. The word that Paul employs uh, can be used of a variety of intense competitions. It can be used of of military engagements for sure, but it's also used of uh, of athletic competition, of intense athletic and physical uh, um, um, debate. Uh, uh challenges. And in 2 Timothy 4, uh Paul pulls them together in his swan song in his last words to Timothy where he says I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So what is this fight? Uh, well the fight is a, it's a battle. It's it's it, you might understand it as a wrestling match. It's 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 a race, it's a marathon. Uh, in which all of you is engaged. Uh, Your lungs are being taxed. Your muscles are are exerting enormous energy in order to win against your opponent. And the fight is to uphold and preserve and guard the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is instructing Timothy to engage in. A struggle to preserve Christian doctrine. uh, To guard the deposit of Christian truth. Now, what exactly does that mean? Uh, it, me- it means a lot, and the implications are vast for uh, for us as individuals, for us as a as a church. Um, but let me be clear: when Paul is exhorting young Timothy to fight the good fight, he's not calling on him to preserve a religious principle or or a philosophical idea. He's not even calling him to guard a, um, a way of life or a rule or a social program. Uh, It means what he's calling on Timothy to preserve is the teaching about a person, Jesus of Nazareth. And that means when you are going about the Christian life, when you are on the journey of Christianity, uh, it means learning the story of Jesus, uh, the life of Jesus, the commands of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. You are not just dealing with sort of philosophical curiosities or religious ideals, but you are dealing with a person. Imagine for a moment being in a relationship in which the other person um, wanted to spend time with you, uh, wanted to be around you, but really didn't want to get to know anything about you. You're, you're perhaps on a date and um, you're telling this person about your life story and they say, no, you know, I, I like to be around you, but I don't actually want to know anything about you. It'd be the equivalent also of somebody getting for me maybe a gift, maybe something like uh, tickets to the U.S. badminton competition. Um, if somebody gave me that gift, uh, even out of the most genuine um, sort of ideals, that somehow that would be a blessing to me, uh, they would in fact miss the whole point. They would know that I don't really like sports and that I certainly don't really care for badminton. Uh, And the same is true of any kind of relationship. An unhealthy relationship is one in which two people have really no interest in getting to know the other person? Uh, what makes them tick? What do they like? What do they dislike? What are the things that move them uh, emotionally? And the same is true of Jesus. The same is true of our Creator, of our Redeemer. See, the degree to which we see Christian doctrine and teaching as irrelevant or perhaps boring or maybe even oppressive it's an indicator of just how far we are away from apostolic Christianity, from the Christianity of the New Testament. And it gets at this fundamental idea that, that what a church believes shapes, has profa- a profound shaping on how a church lives. There's a dynamic, and Paul gets at this over and over again in First Timothy and elsewhere in his, in his New Testament letters, that there's a connection between what we confess, what we believe, what we think about God, and the way that we live. So why haven't I made much of Paul's uh, ethical instructions here at the beginning of First of Timothy 6:11 through16? After all, Paul t- tells Timothy to, f- to flee evil, to flee envy and quarreling and greed, and to pursue godliness and love and faith and gentleness. These are all good things. Uh, what are we to make of the rules that Paul gives to Timothy? And why haven't I made much of them? It's because of this reality that uh, it really doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the rules are or what the rules say in the New Testament, unless the doctrine is true, unless who Jesus is and what he has done for us is true. And see, my impression is um, being in the church for most of my life is that a lot of people come to Christianity because they want help. Uh, they come to church because they're looking for some strategies, um, some inspiration, maybe some practical tips to optimize their life or their marriage or their relationships or their work ethic. But that's not the fundamental question. See, in Paul's mind, the fundamental question is, is Christianity true? Is this doctrine, is this deposit of teaching, is it true? Dorothy Sayers, who was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis and uh, a British Christian. Uh, crime uh, crime writer and poet. Uh, She says in one of her essays, it is worse than useless for Christians to talk about the importance of Christian morality unless they are prepared to take their stand upon the fundamentals of Christian theology. It is a lie to say that doctrine does not matter. It matters enormously. See, what a church believes, what a person believes, shapes how that church and how that person lives. Let me show you. What if, what if you could be sure that the evil in this world, the injustice that we see all around us every day uh, in, in the world, in our own lives, what, what if we could be sure that that evil would one day be vanquished? Uh, what if we could be sure, what if you could be sure that your your worst mistake didn't ultimately define you? What if you could be sure that even in the face of death, that on the other side, there wasn't just a nothingness or an an annihilation of who you were, but actually the everlasting arms of a loving God. Wouldn't that have immense practical relevance in your life? Uh, If you were not even afraid of death itself, wouldn't that be relevant? Wouldn't that be practical? Wouldn't that change, have a dramatic change in who you are and how you think about the world and how you live your life in the world? See, Christianity makes claims. It makes factual claims about reality, about the universe, facts about your life. And getting to know them means getting to know a person, Jesus, the person who is at the heart of all reality. And getting to know him, friends, matters. It matters immensely. What we believe shapes how we live. There's a danger, though, right? Uh, there's a risk involved, for example, if Christian doctrine is what it is, then there's certain things that we have to flee, and there's certain things we have to pursue. there's a, a, a maybe a course correction in our life that needs to take place. And for Timothy, I think it went something like this. You know, as I said earlier, Timothy was, he was naturally conflict avoidant. He was shy, he was timid, he would seemed to constantly need uh, a reassurance from other people. But Paul is urging him to make war, perhaps the one thing in Timothy's life that he least uh, wanted to be engaged in. And see, Timothy would have to stand up to these false teachers. He would have to himself get up and guard the gospel. And that required great personal risk. Timothy would have to do that at great, perhaps great personal cost. See, it went against his natural proclivities. There was something about Timothy and his his character and his personality that would have to die so that the work of Christ could be worked in him. The courage that Jesus wanted for him. The boldness that Jesus wanted to give him. The confidence with which Jesus had gifted him. The confidence of a blood-bought child of God. So the question is, where did he get that power? Where where would Timothy get that power? Where would he access those resources? Where can you and I access those resources? That's the next question. Where's the power for this fight? Well, there's at least three, I think, things that Paul mentions in this text where he says, this is where you can access the power. These are the resources that are available to you as a follower of Jesus Christ Uh, The first thing that Paul mentions is found in verse 13, I'm sorry, in verse 12, in which Paul says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What Paul is referring to here, scholars debate, uh, it could be referring to his uh, ordination as a minister of the gospel. Um, But I'm persuaded by um, scholars that make the case that, what Paul is referring to is actually Timothy's baptism. Because it's in baptism where a Christian is so identified with Jesus that the blessing of eternal life, uh, that the grace of eternal life is communicated to that person in a real way, in a powerful way, in which witnesses are involved who are there to remind that person that they are a child of God, of their fundamental identity. And see, what Paul is doing here is actually pretty profound. Paul is reminding Timothy of who he is. He's a man of God. He belongs to God. He's a child of God. So Christian, my Christian friends, you have at your disposal great resources in the community of faith, in the church. This is why God has given us the gifts of preaching and teaching, uh, where He has given us people in our lives to declare over us the promises of God, the things that are true about us, the things that God wants for us. And this is why he's given us the sacraments, the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper, to seal and signify to us just how much God loves us, because those are things that need to be beaten into our head over and over and over again. They're the presence of many witnesses, and that's one of the resources that Paul says that You and I have. Uh, That's why the New Testament tells us not to neglect these things. Uh, They're important. They are vital for the health of all Christians. And the second thing that uh, Paul talks about here is the presence of God who gives life to all. Um, it's it's, it's It's an interesting phrase. And Paul later goes on to describe who exactly this God is. He gets into the deep waters of theology that God is... He's invincible. He's the sovereign. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's the immortal one, uh, the one who cannot die, the one who was from the beginning. Uh, He's the one who is invisible. No one has seen him. No no one can see him. Paul is piling up uh, deep theological truths. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? I think it's for this reason. It's because the nature of our sin uh, the nature of our sorrows, our weaknesses is a, is a complex matter to be sure, but at least one thing can be said to things like our sorrows and our failures and our weaknesses and our sin. It's that in those moments, in moments of sin and in moments of weakness, in moments of anxiety, in moments of rage and fear and failure, we are... In fact, forgetting, we are neglecting, we are denying something about who God fundamentally is. We are denying or forgetting or not remembering something about what he has already given to us in the gospel. Uh, We are forgetting or denying something about what he has planned for us in the future, what our destiny actually is. And this is why Paul is instructing Timothy to take hold of eternal life. See, it's not as if Timothy wasn't already guaranteed life forever with God in bliss and joy and delight. It's that he needs to be reminded to appropriate that, to take hold of what he already have, to be reminded about who he already was in Jesus. The implications of theology, of doctrine are profound, and they make a difference in our life. They make a difference in the way that we live. So Paul says you, you have power, you have resources in the Christian community in things like preaching and teaching in the sacraments. You also have a, a deep reservoir to draw from in, in who God is, um, in, in a theology that's deep, in a theology that says that God is the creator, uh, that he is sovereign, that he is invincible, that he is, um, can provide for anything that you could possibly need. But then Paul closes here he, he he draws our attention to Jesus Jesus who he says made the good confession before Pontius Pilate and scholars go back and forth they debate what what is the confession that Paul uh, is talking about that Jesus made here you know if you read Matthew, Mark and Luke, um, you read the description of Jesus before Pilate and uh, Jesus only says three words uh, in front of in front of Pilate. And in in John's Gospel, there's uh, more of an extended dialogue between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. But, you know, I'm persuaded that what Paul might actually be referring to is uh, is Jesus' suffering under Pontius Pilate. You know, in the Apostles' Creed, which we recite every time we take the Lord's Supper, um, we, there's a line in the Creed that goes, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And the language here. Um, could be an indication of that, that Paul could be referring not to Jesus' testimony before Pontius Pilate, but his testimony and his confession in the days of Pontius Pilate, during the reign of Pontius Pilate. And so it bears some similarity, perhaps, to the Apostles' Creed. In which case, what Paul is referring to is Jesus' voluntary substitutionary death on the cross, which was commanded by Pontius Pilate. See, Jesus' death on the cross was a confession. It was a testimony. It was a good confession. It was a confession that, was, that heralded across the world. He was making a confession that you can bank your life on. That no matter what happens, this God's hand is upon you. His smile is upon you. All his attributes are for you because of Jesus' death on the cross. See, Paul was calling Timothy to risk his life for the truth that God loves us, for the truth of the gospel. And what he grounds this in is the reality that Jesus didn't just risk his life, but he gave his life to confirm that Jesus loves you, that God loves you. This is why one of the reformers, John Calvin, during the Protestant Reformation, he said this, that whenever our hearts waver, Whenever we find ourselves mired in anxiety and fear, whenever we find our, our souls downcast, whenever we find ourselves depressed or beaten down by our own sin, by our own mess, by our own failures, we can look to the cross of Jesus as our confirmation. We can look to the cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the voluntary substitutionary death of Jesus, as the ground of everything that we are, as the ground of everything that God fundamentally says about us. So in closing, let me end with the words of J.C. Ryle. He was an Anglican minister during the 19th century. He, he wrote a sermon about Paul's words here at the end of First Timothy, and he writes this. He says, let us, set, let us settle it in our minds that the Christian fight is a good fight. It's really good, it's, it's truly good, emphatically good. We see only, in, only part of it yet. We see the struggle, but not the end. We see the battle, but not the reward. We see the cross, but not the crown. We see a few humble, broken-spirited, penitent, praying people, enduring hardships and despised by the world. But we see not the hand of God over them, the face of God smiling on them, and the kingdom of God prepared for them. Friends, fight the good fight. The victory is assured. God's word says that you are more than conquerors through Jesus who loves you. You see the battle, you see the struggle, you see the cross. And Jesus, by his substitutionary death on the cross for you, the good confession has guaranteed that the crown is yours, that the battle is won, and that the reward is given to you freely as an act of his grace. Friends, go in that truth and fight the good fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the reality that Jesus has given us through Paul's word in First Timothy, the command, the instruction to fight the good fight. And we know that he who commanded this has gone before us, has already done it. He's already done everything that we need to do. And so we can rest in his victory. Uh, and at the same time, we can pick up arms and And fight against our own flesh, against the devil, against the things that would lie to us and tell us that you don't love us, that your smile is not on us, that there is not a kingdom before us. Father, we know that these things are not true. So give us the resources, give us the power, give us a vision of Jesus's cross that confirms to us that these things are ours already now. And may that motivate us, may that empower us to engage in the good fight for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.